Welcome to Winning is Not Everything, where we bring sanity back to youth sports by focusing on character development, effort, and sportsmanship, not rankings and trophies. I'm your host, Sean Jensen, former NFL reporter, children's book author, and youth sports coach. Today, we've got part one of our conversation with University of St. Thomas men's basketball coach, John Tower, whose program is making the leap from Division Three to Division One. How will that go? It's too early to tell, but you can be sure that Tower will do so with humility and the values instilled in him by his parents growing up in St. Paul, Minnesota. Let's get to it. At the start of every season, University of St. Thomas men's basketball coach John Tower gathers his players and asks them a question. Quote, raise your hand if you're a role player, end quote. The sophomores, juniors, and seniors immediately raise their hands, and the incoming freshmen are utterly confused. Why? Because most of them don't understand the true meaning of a role player, believing the widespread myth that it's a diminished role on a team. If they're being recruited to St. Thomas, a two-time national champion and a perennial conference champion, then they were an excellent high school player who probably led their respective team in scoring. But Tower is making a more important point, one that transcends the basketball court and in today's culture and climate seems to be lost on many people, not just young athletes. In a future episode, I'll dive more into the context of what makes many of Tower's insights so brilliant. But as it relates to roles, Tower has always embraced whatever his situation demanded, while at Creighton Durham Hall for high school and St. Thomas for college. But here's the thing, after his playing career at St. Thomas ended, Tower faithfully served as an assistant coach under Steve Fritz for 11 years. He had stints running the defense, then the offense, then Tower was tabbed to replace Fritz after his retirement. I'm excited for you to hear from this remarkable coach and man who truly models the best of what sports can and should be. Let's get to it. Well, I am so excited and privileged to have John Tower, the head basketball coach at St. Thomas University, as our guest today. Coach, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me, Sean. I'm really excited for this conversation. Important topics in our world and uh, always enjoy when you and I get a chance to talk. Coach, one of my recurring questions for guests is, what's your favorite childhood sports related memory? You know, it's funny you asked that, Sean. Just last night, I was subjecting my wife and one of my sons to our high school state championship game back in 1991. And social media, the way it is, somebody had posted about that game, which I frankly hadn't thought about in some time. But they posted something that 30 years ago, I, I watched this game as a kid. Now I'm watching it as an adult. And so last night, I pulled it up then on YouTube. Somebody had just posted it. I hadn't watched the game in a long, long time. But I think that was, the for me, the culmination of a childhood dream, right? I think so much of sports are the dreams that you have. As a young kid growing up, my dad, probably my fondest memories were going to watch my dad coach an eighth grade basketball team at a local grade school. And he ran mutual funds for Piper Jaffrey and Hopwood, but he taught for a year. He didn't like teaching, but he loved coaching. And so... I ended up, those were my heroes, you know, these eighth graders at Nativity Grade School in St. Paul. When I was in kindergarten, first, second, third grade, I mean, those were the guys that were my heroes. And so growing up in St. Paul and going to Creed and Durham Hall, I think a state championship was something that, you know, probably beyond your wildest dreams. And I certainly was not the kind of player that anybody when I was young would have projected to be a state champion 
But through great coaches and teammates and, and a lot of hard work, we won a game in overtime against Minneapolis Roosevelt. And it was just, it was one of those moments that you had put so much work into it with some of the best friends in your life. And so, you know, I think that probably for me was, you know, certainly that moment that stands out as, as an 18-year-old, sort of the pinnacle of sports. Which coach encouraged and inspired you most when you were younger? Well, you know, I think I was I was blessed and I grew up in a time and with parents who coaches were really respected. And so when I look back, it's hard for me to single one out because my dad was my first coach, even though I never played for him. He was the guy I was watching coach. And so he I think a lot of my influence came from him and from my mom. But then I had, you know, Dennis Denning, who we won a state championship at Creighton Durham with Dennis as our baseball coach. And he's one of the best of all time. And Coach Ariza at Creighton Durham Hall was another guy that I looked up to. And so those were my two varsity coaches. But you know, interestingly, I just got done right before we got on this call teaching a course in the psychology of motivation and emotion. And we were talking about things like this. And I told the story in my class about my ninth grade basketball coach, Randy Metzel. And 30 years later, he's still at Creighton Durham Hall. And I remember after my ninth grade season, he pulled me in and said, hey, you know, what do you think about your season? And we had a nice chat and and I was like six foot one, 112 pounds. I mean, I was just I was not a very good player, Sean, but I could shoot well. And Coach Metzel told me, listen, I think you're the best shooter in the school already. And I remember feeling sort of this combination of sort of pride, but embarrassment, like I didn't want to take the compliment. He told me again, he said, listen, you're the best shooter in the school right now. And as I started to get comfortable accepting that compliment, he followed that up by saying, but you do know if you don't get stronger and quicker and tougher, and he went on with a litany of other things, you'll probably never, ever wear a varsity uniform, much less play or start on a varsity team here. And so that moment Right. And I always think back to that as coaches, the impact we can have in those in those unpredicted moments that stuck with me for several days. And I didn't want to hear the truth. Right. And I thought he was lying to me, but he's the nicest guy you could ever meet. And after about three or four days of feeling sort of sick to my stomach that my dream was being challenged, I realized that the only reason he told me that was was because he cared for me. And he was absolutely right. And it really it changed my work ethic through high school. But now, 33 years later, I would say that still that moment is a constant reminder to me when things are challenging to have people around me who hold a mirror up to try to reveal truth to me and then for me to try to act on that as best as I can. What was the most valuable lesson you learned through a challenge or defeat? Well, you know, it's it, we could have just had you as the guest speaker in the motivation class this morning because I was talking also in there. I said, I think three or four of the most powerful lessons in life that I've experienced were also the most painful. Those can be losses. Those can be getting cut from a team. Those can be injuries. I think the most valuable lesson for me, again, in high school, you know, and I go back. It's amazing to me how often we go back to middle school and high school sports for these transformational lessons. And we just had won the 1990 state championship in baseball. Um, I was playing first base and I broke my shoulder midway through the game. And I didn't know it, but I knew I was in a lot of pain and I wasn't going to come out of the game. And so the next day I went to the doctor, they x-rayed it. They said, you fractured your shoulder. And so I was out for probably three or four months going into my senior year where I was hoping 
let's have a great summer, get recruited by schools, et cetera, et cetera. So all of a sudden, here I am, and at one level, we just won a state championship, which I never really dreamed we could do or would do, or I'd be a part of at least. The next day, here I am, and basketball was my passion, and I can't I can't play that for several months. And so I remember taking a couple days, and, and the two things I worked on all summer were my leg strength and my shooting form, which I had always shot well, but it was a funky shot that you wouldn't want to teach anybody. So suddenly I can't use my left arm. And so all I did was one-handed shooting with my right hand and that improved my form dramatically and I got in really great shape. And so when I look at it, those were blessings that I don't think I would have done either one of those. I had tried to change my shot several times to to have a higher release point, quicker release, et cetera. And so breaking my arm, I, I tell that story to kids at camp all the time. That turned into one of the best blessings, but I think part of it was I had people around me who were helping me see like, this isn't the end of the world. This is a, this is an obstacle and you got to find your way through it. Yeah. When I had Larry Fitzgerald Jr. on, he shared a similar experience where he had suffered an injury and it forced him basically just to rely. I think it was just on one arm or something. And he just learned how to, you know, master catching the ball with one arm, which obviously has been one of the keys to his success. And so very similar to that. And I think it's just a great lesson for all people that no matter what adversity you face is how do you find the opportunity and the lesson that you can draw from that? And, and you certainly did that. So kudos to you. John, who's an unsung hero from your childhood? Ideally, someone key to your development as a student athlete who's not related to you. You know, was there a teacher or was there a neighbor or just somebody who maybe, you know, I mean, you're a big time college basketball coach. And I, I know you're very humble, but you're, you're very high profile. But is there somebody that in your childhood that just doesn't get that shine who really was very important to you? You know, and I talked about my ninth grade basketball coach. I would say, you know, my teammate, Matt McDonough, we were we were teammates from second grade through the end of college. So we played at Highland Catholic grade school together. Creed and Durham Hall High School and then the University of St. Thomas. And so Matt and I were. You know, we didn't like each other in second grade. We were sort of enemies in rival classrooms and they never, how about the odds of this? Nine straight years, there were two classes in our school and we were never once in the same class. So we figured out two to the ninth power is like one in 512. And we figured out, no, they're just never going to let us be in the same classroom. Um, I don't know if that's, they thought we would misbehave or what the, what the reasoning behind it was. But Matt was a guy who put it this way. He was the consummate winner and he was the point guard and probably I scored more points and he was all around a much better player. And he was just the kind of guy that, you know, in high school, we went 27 and one our senior year and won the state title. He didn't start until our senior year in college and we went 27 and one that year. And so, you know, when I look at Matt, the last two years he started in basketball, his teams were 54 and two and he didn't score a lot of points. He was our shooting guard in college and he led the conference in assists. And he wasn't a very good shooter, but he was an unbelievable competitor and winner. And so Matt is a guy, he lives out in Brooklyn, New York now. He's had an incredibly successful career. We remain close, but I would say that was that was my guy. Like he and I, whether we'd stay home and I think act like we were sick in grade school and we'd play Battleship over the phone. This is before video games and FaceTime and all that. But we just, we, I think had a, a really cool friendship but also his teammates. Um, he was a guy, when I look back, 
I think we learned a lot from each other through those, you know, all the battles that competition brings. Wow, that's such a good example. And I think something that young people today are struggling with is just understanding your role, right? Not everybody can be the star shooter. Not everybody can be a starter, right? But to understand that you have an important role within a team and to be the best at your role. And that seems like something that your friend clearly understood is that he was very comfortable saying, hey, this is my role on this team and I'm going to do it exceptionally well. And clearly he did if you're highlighting him and the fact that you guys were so successful. Yeah, and you know, it's I'm sure we'll jump into our program at St. Thomas later, but I think you're, the way you articulate roles, I think that's one of the most important qualities of successful teams. Like, yes, you need to have talented players, but at the end of the day, talented players who don't embrace roles, that's a disaster usually. Whereas slightly less talented players who all say, this is what I'm going to do, and I'm going to do it to the best of my ability, uh, to me, that is that is what teams do, right? You watch the Super Bowl the other night, and I'm no expert in football, but you can tell those players are so well-versed in what they're supposed to do. And so um, I agree with you. We, we ask our players at the start of every year, raise your hand if you're a role player. And our sophomores, juniors, and seniors all raise their hand. And our freshmen are usually like, role player? I'm a stud. Like, I'm the guy that scores 25 a game. And then they look around the gym kind of nervously. And the point is that every role matters, right? Being the leading scorer, that is a role. But it doesn't mean it's more important than the best defender or the best passer. And clearly, everybody wants versatile players who can do it all. But getting people to embrace the, those roles you talked about, I think, is probably as important as anything in the art of coaching. So true. And and it's actually interesting. This just came up the other day with Paige Beckers, obviously the Hopkins superstar. But Gino was talking about that with his team, saying that one of the strengths of this team is that they understand their roles and that he's got girls who obviously were highly recruited and they're playing their specific role on that team. And meanwhile, his true freshman, Paige, is lighting up the scoreboard because that's kind of her role. And that's very sort of unusual in the history of UConn basketball, but that's the variables. And that's the circumstances that we are in today and that team is thriving. And Gino just kept talking about how well his players are accepting and understanding their role. And so, uh, no, that, that's great, John. Thank you on that. John, what's one thing you would tell your 8, 12, or 16-year-old self? Probably work on getting stronger and quicker earlier in life than I did. I think, tongue in cheek, I think embracing things that are challenging. You know, I think it's easy as a young kid to say, I'm good at this or I'm not good at that. And so I'm not going to do it. And and we, we talk a lot about that, that those two things are not inextricably linked. Like being, I always worry when I hear a student say, well, I'm going to major in this field because I'm good at it. It's like, well, hold on a second here. That That's one important component, right? Being good in your field, but do you love it? Is it something that day after day you're going to enjoy going to work and working tirelessly? And so I think that's the other part of it is embracing challenge in the things that you think are important, meaningful, and enjoyable. Because if things are, if, if things fall in those buckets where you say, I like what I'm doing, this serves a higher purpose, and it's going to help other people and myself, it's probably very worthy to grind through sort of those challenges. And, you know, I know when I look back, 
Uh, I shared a couple stories with you already. When I was eight and 12, I certainly was not at a point where I was going to embrace a lot of that. I would say, don't, don't worry if you're not excelling right now, focus on getting a little bit better each day and really make your reference point who you were yesterday and have you improved a little bit? Because I think there's so much noise out there for kids, social media and et cetera, that the messages they hear and who they compare themselves to aren't realistic standards. They're not even reality in most cases versus what I did yesterday, that is reality. So if I ran a mile as a 12-year-old in six minutes and 52 seconds, by next week, can I break 650 and just try to be a little bit better? And I know that sounds cliche, but I think it's a, it's a far happier way to go through life is just, can I be a little bit better than I was yesterday? And it's not nearly as daunting. It's far more realistic. Yeah, I love that, John. That, that, and it's not cliche. I think it's a truism that has withstood the test of time. One of the words that I love, John, that I don't think young people have any grasp of is yearning. You know, you and I know what it was like to yearn for something, right? If we wanted to order something and we had to wait a week for it to arrive, you were, you were yearning the arrival of this thing that you, you purchased. And now we're at a day and age where things arrive within hours, sometimes, usually on the same day. And I think that really sort of just ekes into these young people's minds of just, I want something and I'm going to get it right now. And so it's sort of hard to grasp just that that is something that can't change about us human beings is that it takes time. You know, it takes time to, to master and to become great at something. There's no shortcut. There aren't any shortcuts. And that immediate gratification that you talked about, I think, is uh, unfortunately oftentimes revered and sort of glamorized in our society. And they're really there isn't an easy way to get great at something. And it the amount of time it takes and then if you get into competition, the number of other people who are trying to do the same thing and then figuring out, okay, can I do this and lead a happy, healthy, balanced life? Because that's the other part of it is there are extremes where you have to say at some point, okay, I've taken enough jump shots today. I practiced my putting enough for today. And so trying to, I think that would be, you know, to, to answer your question, that's another step down the line where maybe somebody fully embraces those challenges. And then at some point you say, okay, we need to recalibrate because this might be coming too important or too much of your focus. But uh, I know that's not easy for any 8, 12 or 16 year old. It wouldn't have been for me. But just embracing that day to day grind and saying there aren't shortcuts. I, I love the way you put that. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Winning Is Not Everything. Please make sure to like the podcast and subscribe to the podcast and share this podcast with your friends. Also, would you please go to my website, seankjensen.com, and visit the contact page. I want you to leave me a voice recording and tell me your first name, your age, where you're from, and who your favorite coach is and why that person is your favorite coach. Some of your responses could be aired on a future episode of Winning Is Not Everything, and I'll randomly pick a few of you to receive a free signed and personalized copy of one of my Middle School Rules books or a free gratitude training session from Model Student Athlete. Winning is not everything but the three H's to be a real hero in life are hustle, humility, and heart. I'm your host, Sean Jensen, and we'll see you next time.